0: To trap one. Repeat, can you hear me?
1: Over. You're listening to Trap One. This week, I've borrowed Lawrence Sutcliffe from the Highlanders podcast to discuss Energy of the Daleks, the Fourth Doctor story, which Big Finish have just re-released on vinyl. Uh, welcome back to the podcast, Lawrence. Thank you very much, Mark. Thank you for having me back again. It's a beautiful sunny day today that we're recording, so I appreciate you uh, sort of uh, taking the time to uh, uh, come indoors and, and record this. Oh
0: yeah, it's, it's very nice up here in Scotland as well, so we've got the windows open and uh, hopefully we won't get too many invading birds, I do tend yeah. to get that at this time of year, ah, they forget right. where the windows are
1: and head inside. <laughs> so uh, so um, just before we talk about um, Energy of the Daleks, uh, we've had news recently that the live streaming video platform Twitch is going to be broadcasting over 500 episodes of 20th Century Doctor Who, Um, so this started on Monday and is carrying on until the 23rd of July, Uh, so this is quite a nice thing to, to have over the summer.
0: Yeah, and I was reading. I've not, Twitch isn't something I've explored before, so I was reading the link you sent me about it, and I quite like that they're doing things like little special Doctor Who emojis for the people sort of as they tweet along. And I, I'm kind of envious. I want to sign up just so I can have Doctor Who emojis on my phone.
1: <laughs> yeah, but, I like that. Uh, I like uh, at Christmas, um, they had those in. There was a little Tardis with um it snow on it or a Santa hat or something like that. I think. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they were cool. I do, I do quite like it. I think my phone does, if you put TARDIS in, it will replace it
0: with a police box, but it's one of those sort of hidden ones. You have to know it will do that. It isn't an option for you. Uh, uh, but I think there are there are loads of secret emojis. It's all for the young people, Mark. Yes.
1: It's not for us. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd never heard of Twitch either um, until I saw this news, but I have downloaded it and signed up for it. Um, even though I own all these episodes in DVD already. Um, it just feels like uh, it's going to be quite a nice communal experience that, that everyone's going to be kind of watching at the same time as they go out. Whereas with the classic series, you, you tend to be it tends to be more kind of a, a lone thing, doesn't it? You uh, you, put, you pull the DVD out and watch it. So uh, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be a nice kind of feeling part of uh, part of something as uh, as the episodes go out. Yeah,
0: and it'll be interesting. I think I don't know if they'll be collecting data from it as long but if it's playing for 24 hours it's going to mean people are picking up, up around the world at different times yeah it'd be interesting to see if there are particular sort of peaks and troughs and if if there are people who scale sort of stay up because the one episode they really want to watch is at 4 in the morning so they're going to be up for that um, yeah. So it's kind of nice thing. It's it's not something I've got into before. The sort of the whole tweet along thing. I get too involved with what I'm watching and I forget to tweet, yeah. which kind of defeats the whole sort of purpose of it. Um, but it's a, it is a nice idea, as you say, to get people to share and be interested in it, uh, yeah. and, um, hopefully
1: introduce a few new fans to it. Definitely, and there's some new content as well. So I guess even for the, um, you know the kind of the older fans who are already familiar with the stories. Um, they've recorded material with Paul Cornell, uh, Bob Baker, who invented K9, uh, Tom, Siltz, Tom Spilsbury, who was the editor of Doctor Magazine, um, Beth Axford from the Time Ladies, um, who's uh, been on this podcast as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's, um, there's going to be some nice, kind of discussiony bits on there as well. So, uh, I think it'd be, uh, be good to tune in and, uh, and catch all that. And as you say, yeah, the little emojis, um, that'll be a lot of fun, I think. They've got all the classic doctors, I think. So, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to see how they've. Uh, caricature those however.
0: yeah and sometimes they come out really well I remember we, I think we chatted about this on the last podcast the Lego Dimensions game when, uh, when that had their Doctor Who level released and every time your character dies it comes back as the next Doctor uh, yeah. and some of them are just so cute and you kind of think oh I want to do a little set of Lego Doctors now because like, I like, don't have enough toys
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got the, uh, the Lego TARDIS set um, since last time we spoke, um, it's got the uh, the Peter Capaldi control room and the, the TARDIS and stuff, and it's got a uh, an eleventh and a twelfth Doctor in there. Uh, this yeah, is really cool. I sort of like it.
0: I've got very um, very envious of it since you sent the pictures. And, yeah, <laughs> uh, been have another ground, But it's after it being about, and me think, Oh, I don't, I don't really want to pay. So, I think it was about forty pounds for it. Now, now it is quite difficult to get hold of. Sort
1: of changing hands for quite a lot more money. Yeah, um, I was looking. I got it for on um, on eBay. a second hand one for about about forty pounds. Um, but all the pieces oh, present and correct. So uh, yeah, it was uh it was good. And just it's really ten, really took me back to my childhood of building Lego. I used to absolutely love that one as a kid. So uh, yeah, a really sort of uh, nice, pleasant evening just sitting there following the instructions <laughs> and putting it together. So
0: it's out on display.
1: It is, yeah. Got it on, on my shelves, yeah. So, yeah, nice piece. I've got it. Uh, well, I just redid. Finally, got enough space and shelves to put all my Doctor Who collection on kind of one wall. So uh, I've got that out, and I've put my Dapple. Uh, I've got the TARDIS console and uh, a few of the figures of that as well. So uh, they've got their own little shelf and stuff. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's very pleasing. I just could, just kind of stand and look at it. Yeah. <laughs> No,
0: I'm, uh, I'm sort of halfway between. So sort I of, lost my books and the DVDs are all together. But I um, I went for the five inch range that sort of still has still going. It fits and starts. Um, I saw some pictures recently of uh, Bill Potts' character um, in the five inch range, which looks quite nice. Yeah. If it does appear, I'll have to get. I think um, Home Bargains,
1: B and M Bargains, yeah,
0: yeah, they've got their um, little range that's got one or two in and I think there's a few sort of slightly different versions of the Doctor and the Brigadier depending on which set you get
1: yeah there's uh, um, yeah exclusive be and Bargains you've got the sort of uh, Talons of Wen Chiang Doctor uh, Season 7 Brigadier there's, there's some nice uh, nice pieces in there yeah I'm going to try and get a couple of those I think yeah the um, I have
0: the I it, Talons of Wen Chiang, It's that's one of my favourite figure sets from that range it's uh, the Magnus Greel and um, the little uh, oh, I've forgotten Mr. Sin. Mr Sin
1: Mr yeah, Sin yeah. that's it yeah the, the Peking homunculus yeah that's him he's cool yeah, I, a... yeah. I never I didn't invest too much in the 5 inch figurines I, I've got each of the doctors uh, I've got uh, this I think all of the cybermen that have come out uh, and a few of the dialects but uh, yeah I was trying to um, trying to hold back on those really for space yeah <laughs> Yeah, I'm figuring once once I
0: get my, uh, I've got quite a deep bookshelf that needs clearing in the study. Once we've got there, that all the Doctor Who stuff can go in there, and the figures can go in front of their appropriate uh, DVD episodes.
1: Yeah, that's what I've got um, with the doctors. Yeah, they're all standing in front of their, <laughs> and the, the little um, the little vinyl figures they they're quite cool as well. Um, yes, I've got those in front of uh, well not in front of them, uh, but um, by the the target range sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but I uh, I'm a Kind of weird in that I put them in target library order number, so they're not in doctor order. So the doctors are in order, but the um, the books aren't in chronological order.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, well we've all got our little our little yeah. quirks. Yeah, Daleks <laughs> Daleks is, as you say, getting this very pretty vinyl release um, in that lovely sort of neon blue. Yeah, and um, do you know why they picked that one particularly?
1: I don't. I mean, I guess it's um, it's Tom Baker is kind of still looms large in the in the public consciousness, doesn't he? As uh, as a sort of default doctor, it's got the Daleks in it, um, yeah. and it, it was his first
0: one when he re- when he started doing the audio adventures. Although I think it's the chronologically, it was the fourth one they released. Yeah, this it's is actually a, the first one he recorded.
1: Yeah, that's it. Um, and he's got Mark Benton in as well, who's quite a well-known figure on uh, sort of British TV and, and uh, adverts and things, isn't he? It's got quite a few people um, in it as well who went on
0: or had been in Doctor Dan Starkey and obviously Nick Briggs because um, he sort of produces the, the Big Finish range. Yeah. Um, and it's one that he wrote and directed. So uh, it's quite a nice little one for, for fans of the series to, to hear all those voices that are quite familiar.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, very difficult to get hold of, though. I, um, I called in Sainsbury's After Work on Friday when it was released. They'd all sold out in the in the Carlisle store um, I've seen that on, on Twitter quite a bit as well that uh, people find it hard to, to get them. was a limited run of 1500 pressings I think uh, yeah. It seems like they're probably all gone now so you'd be be very lucky to pick one up yeah we uh, unfortunately well unfortunately
0: fortunately we don't have a at Saintbury in Inverness our nearest one over in N so it's a good uh, sort of 30 mile round trip to do that uh, not what yeah. I could make uh, I don't know if our friend John did uh, I think it will have depended on his work schedule. Yeah. Uh, so, but this was my uh, my first experience of a big Finish story. Uh, so saying to you before, I've it's one I've resisted because there, there is so much of it. I mean, it's always sounded intriguing, especially for the doctors who are less represented in actual TV episodes. So Paul McGann and John Hurt and the John Hurt ones for the whole War Doctor thing. It really did. Sort of tempt me quite a lot, um, but it is something I've resisted because I, I wouldn't have stopped at that. I would have, uh, I would slowly sort of acquired more and more. And uh, it's difficult enough just to sort of feel that you've justified buying yeah. the DVDs for it. Yeah. Um, let alone to then have a sort of whole pile of CDs. But I really enjoyed it. Um, I suppose the only other audio exclusive. Adventure I've had is uh, the Pescaton's, sort of oh, way yeah. back, um, which which I remember really liking. I don't think it's got sort of the highest reputation amongst no. the fan base. Um, so so this was good fun. I listened to it last night and really enjoyed the the story as a whole. And then the nice. It's about another half hour of sort of chat and discussion amongst the various actors, writers, and producers, which is quite a nice little extra
1: sort of to put on. Cause it doesn't mention that on the sleeve notes. No, uh, it is uh, yeah, big finish. Yeah. It's quite good value like that. You do get more stories, and you uh, you have the, the behind the scenes stuff, so you get a bit of input from the writers, directors, actors, everything like that. Um, I know what you mean about the. Uh, the sheer scale of the Big Finish range, I, I dip in and out of it, but it's uh, I think it's impossible sort of time and financially to sort of, keep up with all of it because um, there's the, the main range of the main doctors coming out all the time. Uh, as you say, then they do the sort of special box sets, um, the, yeah. the War Doctor, the War Master, which we talked about in the last episode with Keith. That was uh, that was a box set that was really good. Um, but uh, generally, you always have a good experience yeah. with uh, with any that you listen to. And there's the Companion Chronicles, which don't have the Doctor in. Yeah.
0: and um, Our friend John is a big fan of the Jacob and Lightfoot yeah. sort of spin-off series, uh, which I think got to seven or eight sort of series in the end.
1: Maybe even more. I think. Yeah. It's um, I've yeah. listened about the first three of those. They are really delightful. Um, yeah. And then there's Countermeasures. There's there's, there's Unit. Uh, yeah. River Song. Beneath Summerfield, yeah, there's uh, there's there's quite a few ranges on the go, yeah. Um, yeah, so you can see you can see why I'd
0: maybe resist because I, yeah. I wouldn't
1: have stopped. <laughs> there are a number of the early ones available on Spotify. Um, I don't know if you've uh, if you've looked into that at all. You can get some complete adventures that you can uh, you can sort of stream for free through Spotify. So um, if you oh, if that you, might be
0: worth uh, having a look for
1: then. Yeah, if you're looking to explore it a bit further, and a lot, I think the first fifty. Stories um, you can download for five pounds each as well, um, and they're all sort of four-part stories, so you get 25 twenty-five-minute stories for uh, for the price as well. So it's uh, yeah, the, the older ones because they're from sort of ninety-nine onwards. Uh, you know, a bit older now, they uh, they are a bit cheaper. Yeah,
0: that, I suppose, with you mentioning their the four episodes, I think that's my, my one criticism of Anarchy of the Daleks, is it, it was over very quickly. I mean, it is just a two-parter, so 50 minutes, and it felt like they had squeezed quite a lot of exposition in, and it moves along at a fairly breakneck pace, which is, I suppose, kind of common now for the way the series runs. Um, it's not much longer than an average episode. But I did feel that I wanted it to take a bit more time um, with with telling the story and building the world a little bit more, um, because I was finding it quite interesting. I think had I found it generally boring, that wouldn't have bothered me. Yeah. But because I was enjoying it and I quite liked what they were doing and things, I felt that they could have explored it a little bit more than... Just oh here we here we are here's some energy oh no it's the garlic, so oh, quick there's nice <laughs> some then off to the moon oh we're done it's like oh that was a bit bright <laughs>
1: now yeah so. it has got a similar pace to the modern series doesn't it um, and uh, yeah I guess it's it, it possibly is sort of aimed at, uh, at kind of getting people on board who've who've come to the show with the new series that uh, you know the where the old four parts maybe seem a bit a bit kind of long and, and drawn out. Um, but yeah, so uh, it's it's set in the year twenty twenty five, where they sort of uh, anticipate a, an energy crisis, don't they? So you've got this uh, this character Damien, who is a scientist who has uh, found a way to harness solar energy on the moon and, and transmit it back to Earth. But uh, yes. is there something afoot as we find? Yes, there?
0: yeah, Doctor and Leela arriving, and the Doctor picking up an energy signature which shouldn't be in the earth, on Earth at that time. So uh, cue him going off to uh, to explore. I liked, one of the things I did think was very well done is how they've integrated it into the series um, with Leela's references to the, their previous adventure in London, which would be Talons of Wen Chang. I mean, it's not mentioned, but she talks about how it was all foggy. I yeah. think there's a few references later on When the Robo Men sort of have arrested her, and she's saying, "Well, no, why aren't you wearing blue? It's the the soldiers in blue who do the arresting."
1: Yeah, the blue guards. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And it makes sense for the character that 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 that's her frame of reference for London. Is uh, yeah, it's 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 foggy. There's blue guards, and uh, yeah, it's. I think one of the sort of When they made this series, the idea was that it was kind of making good on the promise that the Doctor would try to sort of uh, educate Leela to some extent and and show her about her ancestors, um, which, you know, she was very uh, kind of sheltered, wasn't she, on um, the the planet the Doctor found her on in uh, in the face of evil. So he's he's showing her the universe, showing her the the, the human race and and, uh, and everything else. Uh, So there's some nice bits like that where he's he's taught her about gravity and he's taught her about different... uh, different stuff already yeah so she,
0: she's you, you can feel that in the character in that she's sort of less the noble savage that he's picked up in face of evil she has um, been learning things and is more able to cope now is isn't a uh, it's, it's a while since I watched the their adventures but as I recall her first couple of stories there's a Sort of default position of um, magic and mysticism to her explanations, and that's sort yeah. of gone from the character. It fits between. Is it after the horror of Fang Rock that these
1: this sort of missing season goes? I think so. Yeah, it's um, yeah. yeah between yeah. between seasons. I think is the idea. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, but
0: uh, but it was very nice. I thought Louise Jameson was very good. I I liked. Her performance very much, and I thought her interactions with the characters, especially the Daleks and the Red Men, as Leela was very appropriate. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I didn't. I wasn't sure how how comfortable Tom Baker was. I suppose with a, it being his first sort of story back and being back in you know, Junior the first time he's really been the Doctor. For uh, for a couple of decades, I sometimes felt that he wasn't—he hadn't quite got back into that headspace. Yeah, um, I've heard excerpts from a few things a bit later, um, and it and it is just him again. Yeah. Um, and I did think this feels like an older version of the Fourth Doctor. Uh, so, so that was a a little bit strange.
1: Yeah, one of the things I like is uh, when when they arrive on on Earth and they um, they find a protest against uh, Globesphere, which is uh, Damien's company. One of the things the Doctor notices about the National Gallery that there's a huge satellite dish on top of it, and it's become the the headquarters for this this company, Globesphere. Uh, so this was recorded in 2012. So obviously. Uh, a, g- a good year at least before the 50th anniversary came out, where the National Gallery takes on a new significance because we find the the cur- curator um, yes. is, is also played by Tom Baker um, as pretty much a future incarnation of the Doctor. Uh, so it was nice that, uh, that he had that link with the National Gallery in this one. And he's, yes. he even knows secrets about the building, which, which uh, only he and Winston Churchill knew about it, which is a secret tunnel, um, a way to, to get in and out. Uh, so that was kind of a bit serendipitous, I guess, that uh, mm. it, it takes a new significance in hindsight like that. Yeah, because I understand they've um, they've
0: done a few more of uh, the Winston Churchill Doctor adventures with Ian McNeese coming in, reprising his role. Yeah. Yeah. How- I know one of them is with Peter Davidson, isn't it? Have they done one with Tom Baker that makes reference to the tunnel and tying it in the, to
1: your knowledge? And not to my knowledge, but I haven't heard that many of them. No, because uh, I know he got his own box set. I'm not sure if there's any doctors in that or not. I think it's like the Diary of Winston Churchill or something like that. Yeah. Um, so, no, it would be interesting if that is picked up again. Because uh, mm-hmm. this, be, this would be after the – it's 2010, isn't it, the – um, Victory of the Daleks where it's established yeah. Winston Churchill has known many of the Doctors um, throughout, uh, throughout his, his life uh, and he's fully aware that he's an alien with a time machine and everything else yeah. so uh, yeah it's, uh, it's, it's a good thing for Big Finish to be able to pick up on as well
0: mm-hmm. I enjoyed the writing very much I thought that Nick Briggs has managed to capture the character of the Doctor and Leela very well there's lots of little asides. I know that from reading the the notes about it, there was quite a bit of sort of improvisation around the script as well. But I enjoyed the, the one that oh, that made me smile, particularly is when the Doctor points out the tautology of Globesmeer. Yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and almost just sort of talking to himself. Um, and that just made me smile. But the... I think it's repeated in the little extras bits at the end. All the shushing that,
1: yes, that yes. the doctor does,
0: <laughs> and I'm sure he's done that before. in things where he goes, shush, and everybody stopped. He goes, oh, it's quiet, isn't it? You can't <laughs> hear anything. Um, yeah, it's, so it's quite a it did way, feel yeah. yeah, it felt that uh, well written and well well thought through.
1: The bit I like when, they, uh, when they're escaping from Globesphere, they, they get in the in the chair, which is a teleport that takes them up to the moon base. Um, mm-hmm. And he goes, bye-bye, Daleks. It, it was very much <laughs> an echo of uh, the City of Death, or City of Death, isn't it, where he goes, uh, at the end, he goes, bye-bye, Duggan. I thought, yes. that was, uh, uh, exactly. And I think for a little bit for Destiny of the Daleks, where um, when Davros has
0: first been sort of... Um, brought out of suspended animation I, I think the Doctor gives the, the Daleks a little wave then yeah. Uh, so I mean, it obviously as a Dalek story it, it's, it goes between Genesis and Destiny and some of the reviews that I read were saying that they felt the energy of the Daleks sort of pitches somewhere between the two I felt they were quite hard some of the reviewers on, on Destiny which is a a story I have quite a soft spot for, um, probably cause it was the first one I, I ever saw. Yeah. Um, but it was nice to have a, a Dalek story that doesn't have Davros in. Um,
1: yeah.
0: cause um, I think they'd be, they became over reliant on him a bit. Um, and it's one of the sort of better things of the new series that he's only been in a couple of the
1: stories rather than every single Dalek one. Yeah. Um, and because Leela didn't, didn't meet them on screen as well, so it's nice to have a story where uh, she gets to face them as well, I think. True, and, and her, her
0: sort of natural aggression and belligerence is yeah. sort of just a, a good foil for the Daleks. Uh, when they're threatening her with extermination, she threatens them
1: right back. Yeah, yeah, it's, so, it's a different reaction to you normally isn't it? She's still got the Janus thorns as well. She tries to use them on the Robo-Men. Once they've yes. captured her, um, but because they're basically sort of animated corpses, it doesn't have any effect. Um, but that's yeah. a nice scene when the um, the character Jack um, he once they've overpowered the robo men, uh, he says, well, "What? Why is why are the plants growing out of his back?" Uh, and the doctor <laughs> realizes it's Janus thorns. So there's obviously more than one. She's kept uh, she's kept one of them's lethal. And she's kept going with them, <laughs> yeah, trying to bring but, him down. Uh, yeah,
0: I, uh, it was interesting because obviously with it being an audio one, you're imagining a lot of this. I It was nice to have the Robot men back. I mean, I've always been a big fan of them and felt that they should be sort of used a bit more than they are. But rather than their classic TV appearance, which sort of the, with the big metal head, sort of yeah. cages around their heads that they have to I was imagining them as they appear in the Peter Cushing movie.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, because when they, well, they visors, do, I think
0: have is... that look that they're described as a bit more of a sort of a shock, a corporate shock trooper.
1: Yeah, because uh, they they describe visors in this, don't they? Which is more like the Peter Cushing one.
0: Yeah, little helpers with the silver, um, the silver eye mask. So. Yeah, and they, they so, pull the same. So trick. I found that really quite a good vi- a good visual sort of tie-in for them.
1: Yeah, um, and and they do the same trick as the as you get in the Dalek invasion of Earth of. Dressing as robo men to, uh, to to pass themselves off and infiltrate the, the Dalek base, don't they? Uh, yeah, Barbara's plan, isn't it, in in the Dalek invasion of Earth? Uh, and it's uh, quite a comic. Yes, f- Bernard Cribbins does it in the movie, doesn't he? It's quite kind of a comic scene when he does it. It's, uh, yes, and it was quite. I think it was quite it was quite a bit humour in this one because. Uh, Mark Benton's character when uh, they, they arrive in the Robo-Man uh, kind of outfits and they get questioned about what they've been doing and he goes, oh, sorry, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <I think>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which a Robo-Man wouldn't be doing. Yeah, it's, uh, uh, and of course, nearly gets turned into a, a Robo-Man. And
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, this one, yeah. this, is the, uh, this is the plan that uh, the, the, the Daleks, after, after interrogating her and find, to find out how she's travelled through time, uh, when which she reveals the Doctor's name, they're going to convert her. Because uh, I don't think you see any female Robo-men in Dark Invasion Earth, do you? Robo-people, I suppose you should say.
0: Yes, yeah. Hashtag Robo-women, hashtag yeah. feminist. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, I, I, I can't recall ever having seen them. It's only in the uh, new series when you've had um, the Dalek agents. Yeah, um, well, yeah oh, we yeah Would do, you see... Which is the,
1: the Matt Smith one that begins, Asylum that of the Daley be- Yeah, asylum. Sorry. Is it? That's it. Yes. Where they've got the ice stalk that, that where their forehead splits open and uh, and they burst out. Yeah. Yeah. I think they're a great idea. I like those because they got you got that zombie idea like the Robo Men, um, but the yeah the, the kind of the horror of them yeah where the uh, the eye stalk bursts out. Um, yeah, in some
0: ways I thought I, I, that hadn't been established by when this was recorded, but I did. That was the way I was seeing Damien's character, the the, the leader of Globesphere, who's been sort of co-opted by the Daleks. Yeah. Um, because of that duality they had that whenever he falls asleep, he's back under their direct control.
1: And the rest of the time he's sort of operating on, a, on like a hypnotic suggestion. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they're kind a high-functioning Robo Man, don't they? Don't yeah, they? Just, um, uh, I think I probably prefer the sort of Robo Man or human Dalek agents to the uh, you, you kind of um, oh, what are they called from Day of the Daleks, the the Ogrons. I I have a soft
0: spot for Ogrons, but yeah, I see your
1: point. I've um, to ones that uh, I
0: would have quite liked to see come back. Yeah, um, but they don't. I don't think they work quite as well because um, for me they don't fit the Dalek sort of ethos whereas effectively killing humans and turning them into sort of controlled slaves is much more a Dalek thing having a, a subservient slave race for a, a species which are just completely opposed to anything which isn't Dalek um, didn't didn't quite sit with me. That said, I really like them in uh, in day at the Daleks. Yeah. And it's it's quite a nice way to um, to sort of boost boost the numbers, make them look more threatening for the time, have somebody who can run up the stairs for the Daleks.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, been I kinda like to all... see them just you know how they do sometimes they use Stick an alien in the background, or give them a little count a bit like they did with um, the Mavellans yeah. uh, recently in the last series. I quite like the Ogrons just to get a little sort of flashback uh, acknowledgement in that respect.
1: Uh, yeah, or just appear un- under the kind of their own auspices a bit, rather than uh, you know working for the Daleks or something. It might be nice to uh, to, to bring them. Yeah, up. yeah. Uh, well, so after the, uh, so the the doctor and Jack rescue Leela from being robotized um, the Dalek comes in and they, they trick it into inspecting the, the machine that turns people into Robomen uh, and then activate it. I thought this seems a little bit uncomfortable because um, all they say the machine is making the Dalek more compliant. He's almost like he's being tortured, the Dalek's being tortured, isn't it? Which it, it didn't feel quite right for the Doctor. The, um, the Dalek does seem to be kind of suffering and in pain while the Doctor think, interrogates. It, it felt didn't feel quite, for me, it didn't feel quite right for, for the Doctor.
0: Yeah, I think for, for not for the Tom Baker Doctor, I agree with you there. I think for some of the later ones where particularly the 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 modern Doctors who are sort of post-Time War, who who yeah. are a bit more um, sort of no-holds-barred. Geneva Convention doesn't apply when it comes to Daleks. Yeah.
1: Uh, but I, th- I
0: think there are those kind of moments throughout all the series where actually it's a bit more... a bit less sort of good guy, bad guy than, than you might remember. Um, I mean, there's certainly... Right from the beginning, I think there's been a, a slight question mark over the over the doctor's sort of moral character. I mean, there are moments in Unearthly Child where he's sort of considering bashing people on the head with skulls and rocks, and, yeah. and not worrying too much about that. Um, so I think there are sort of little bits in,
1: yeah. uh,
0: in those. He does, um, but uh, no, I, I see, I understand what you mean.
1: Yeah, just, uh, I mean, I think as written, it wasn't supposed to be torture. it was that the Dalek was compliant and maybe trying to resist, but it seemed a little bit in the performance like it was suffering and, uh, yeah, I mean, not that you feel sorry for a Dalek, it was more mm-hmm. more from the, the, the Doctor's character point of view, I think, yeah. Yeah,
0: I mean, and that is something they've explored a bit, when the Doctor, when the Dalek in the more modern series have developed emotions and had felt compassion in some way. It, it, it just cause them physical pain. Um, it's almost like the all the genetic modification and the, the mood-altering stuff and to make them as evil as possible. Like there is almost, um, in the way that the side men have the emotional sort of inhibitors in them, some of yeah. the modern ones, it's almost like the Daleks have something that sort of keeps reminding them to be bad so that any... Positive, compassionate thoughts are sort of treated as something to be punished.
1: Yeah, so it was into the Dalek in particular, with the the Dalek that saw uh, he saw a nebula or something, uh, didn't he? Mm-hmm. That was uh, that was particularly beautiful, and that, and that changed him. But then, once the Doctor repaired it, the it, it's let's say the. Um, the machinery yeah, it's around it. it kicks in again. Yeah, and it inhibited that those sort of senses and feelings. Yeah,
0: yeah, I found it a really good experience for my first sort of big finish. Uh, sort of enjoyed it very much, and yeah, I wouldn't. I would quite like to hear a few more, but I, I just won't be buying them. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I say, it's, uh, it's a good opportunity. I think while I'm on Spotify and occasionally on uh, Radio Four Extra as well. They will broadcast a run Actually, of Actually, I may well
0: have heard sort of one or two episodes on there. Um, now I think about it, just sort of put them
1: on and they happen to be on. Yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, I think um, Toby Haydock will sometimes, because uh, he, yeah. he sort of presents some science fiction stuff on there and has written some dramas for it uh, and they'll um, they'll broadcast some Big Finish. So they're always kind of worth looking out for because you can download them on the BBC Radio iPlayer afterwards as well and, uh, and kind of uh, yeah, and they hang around for a little bit there. Yeah, so. that's good.
0: So, if you, were, I mean, if as my, like myself, this is your sort of first introduction to to Big Finish. Where would you suggest people go to from here with them? I think. I mean, um, are, are there runs that you think are
1: particularly worthwhile? Yeah, I think for me, when when they first got Paul McGann over to Big Finish, his first two seasons of stories. Um, I think the the first story is Storm Warning uh, all the way through to Zagreus which was a sort of 40th anniversary story uh, which is it's not exactly a multi-doctor story but it's got um, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy and Paul McGann all in it Uh, and some I think some John John Pertwee audio that had been recorded for something and never used Uh, so it's nice that they they, have worked the third doctor into it as well Uh, so that's that run, those two seasons, I think, are absolutely brilliant. Um, and then there's this kind of well-known individual stories, I think, which are very highly regarded. So you've got sort of – there's a Six-Doctor one called Jubilee, which the Ninth Doctor episode, uh, Dalek, is loosely based on. Right. Uh, Spare Parts is sort of um, an – That's auditory, the PZ Davidson one, isn't it? About yeah. the.
0: That they lifted a little sort of bit from for one of the recent Cybermen stories.
1: Yeah, so the uh, World Enough and Time uh, sort of takes some elements from it, and the um, David Tennant Cyberman story, the uh, Rise of the yeah, Cybermen. Age of Steel. And yeah, they yeah. in the credits for that they actually credit Mark Platt who wrote Spare Parts. Although there's, there's very little element, very few elements from Spare Parts in it. I think it was a, a basis for that. So he's credited in the credits of that one as well. It's quite an influential story. Uh, I listened to it again, actually, before World Enough and Time. It's it's a great story. It's very atmospheric, very emotional. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, and a great sort of... The the dying days of Mondas, how the side of man arose, uh, you know, and, and that world. It's a really, really good story. Yeah. Uh, and there's, yeah, there's... Um, Oh, there's, there's tons of, uh, of great ones. Uh, one I listened to only recently was The Butcher of Brisbane, actually we were talking about the Towns of Wen Chiang earlier. Oh, yes. This is um, set immediately, from Magnus Greel's point of view, immediately before the Towns of Wen Chiang, so it leads up to him being catapulted back in time to Victorian London. Uh, and that's uh, Peter Davison's story with... Um, Mark Strickson uh, back as Turlough uh, and Jeanette Fielding and Sarah Sutton as Tegan uh, as and Nyssa. Uh, very good story as well. I think that might be Mark Platt as well. I'm not 100% sure on that.
0: Yeah, it's quite a nice way thing to do, I think, with the audios is to revisit stories or to explore references that the Doctor makes about previous um, adventures Uh, I think they. I was noticing one of the other stories in this first Tom Baker season is um, Destination Nerva, when they go back to to the the ship from Ark in Space and Revenge of the Cybermen.
1: Yeah, Um, yeah, that's a that's a a nice one. Yeah, that uh, that he immediately recognises it as well. Uh, It's uh, yeah. There's um, I've only listened to I think the first two seasons of, of Tom Baker ones. Um, so there's this series where he's with Leela, and then the second series is Mary Tam as the original Romana. Yeah. Uh, and that's lovely, I think, because uh, she passed away, sadly, quite soon um, after these were recorded. I think even the series was, was being released, or hadn't been released yet, uh, when the news came out that she passed away. So that's a lovely run of six stories uh, that we've got got those two back together, because they only got yeah. six stories on screen as well. Uh, there's a particularly good one by Jonathan Morris called uh, it's kind of a pun title, uh, which is the antimatter, which is a sort of PG Woodhouse style 1920s story, okay. which is yeah. very witty and really uh, really fits their dynamic and their delivery. Uh, so that's that's kind of a standout one from the Tom Baker run as well. And they've also adapted some of the, uh, you know, the Gareth Roberts Missing Adventure books like uh, The Romantic Crime and The English Way of Death. Uh, Because you say most of the Tom Baker ones are just two-parters. They're, I think, adapted as four-parters, so they feel a bit more satisfying and, and meaty. And there's also the, although I've only listened to the first one of these, there's Philip Hinchcliffe Presents box sets where they've brought Philip Hinchcliffe back to produce some Tom Baker stories. Uh, right. Try and recreate that sort of uh, you know what for a lot of people the golden age, uh, yeah, that sort of gothic, yeah, Doctor Who era, yeah. So they're longer stories as well. Uh, so yeah, if you if you find in the the two part Tom Baker ones a little bit too, uh, you know, gone by too quickly, there are some uh, some lengthier ones out there as well. Yeah, I was reading you saying about Mary Tam,
0: just getting through. reading that this um, energy of the Daleks and that whole series was actually intended to be uh, Tom Baker and Elizabeth Slayton but yeah. uh, then sadly she died as well and, uh, and they got Louise Jameson in to, to do uh, to fulfil the companion role
1: so uh, yeah I think that was part of how they, they got Tom Baker back in the first place uh, was was the prospect of working with Elizabeth Sladen again uh, it was uh, yeah it's it's um yeah it's a shame we didn't get those those two back um yeah yeah that would have been lovely uh, actually before tom baker came back to big finish he did do a few series for bbc audio um which paul Mars wrote where there are these sort of half narrated and half um acted stories okay. with um richard franklin as captain yates which uh, okay. is a similar sort of situation. Originally, they were going to be with Nicholas Courtney as the brigadier, uh, but he was too ill uh, and then obviously and passed away as well. So they, they rewrote it with Captain Yates, who was never on screen, obviously, with Tom Baker. Uh, but they do actually work quite well together as a, as a team. And there's a new character called Mrs. Wibsey, who's uh, the, the housekeeper for this cottage that the doctors bought. Uh, and they have all these adventures. So they're well worth looking out as well.
0: We were... Uh... Chatting a little bit about the role of the companions uh, over over sort of Twitter, and how what they sort of brings to the, to the doctor, and I think they nowadays they seem very much in some ways there's almost more of a focus than the doctor. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, they, the the companions have become for quite a while characters who will just. Be there to say, oh, why, doctor? Um, yeah. I mean, they do get they do get other things to do. Um, particularly, I was thinking those of a story like, say, the Romans, where they all get split up and go off and have their own adventures before they come back. And uh, certainly, with wayne Hartnell and to a lesser extent Patrick Trout but still the same, the the male companions, especially, are there to be sort of the action. Yeah. Side, and of course that was what um, Ian Martyr's Harry Sullivan was brought in to be, and then they ended up casting a a younger Doctor who could sort of do those things himself. Um, but it was—I was thinking after we were sort of exchanging messages about it, it it took a long time for them to get a non-human companion.
1: Yeah,
0: argu- arguably K nine is the first one, although I. Again, we'd argue that it's created and programmed by humans and that. So it's so really Romana's the first. Yeah. And then you have uh, quite a run of the magic, Nessa, Turlo. But they never really make much of a thing of that. I've always thought it would be quite nice to actually have a properly alien companion. Um, and they did do that in the... Um, in the comic books for a while, I was I was very f- very fond of Frobisher, yeah. um, Sixth Doctor and a penguin. Um, what what do you think about that? Do you think they could that we could have a properly alien? Because Nardole, I think in the last series worked very very well, although he wasn't a full time companion.
1: Yeah, I yeah, because I think there's the, they've sort of received wisdom in, since the series came back is that you have to have this sort of sort of um, point of view companion, don't you? Who's from contemporary Earth and is discovering uh, the Doctor and the TARDIS and, and the universe, you know, kind of as the audience's proxy. Um, but, I, you know, I'd argue that although Leela's a human, she, she's not from Earth and, and knows nothing of contemporary culture or, or society or anything like that and, and yeah, works incredibly well, and as does Romana. Um, so there's, there's something to be said for, I guess, you know, it's the, re- the inversion of that is, you know, learning about... Earth and uh, and history and things like that through the eyes of somebody who isn't from here, um, you, you know, kind of throwing up a different perspective and and kind of new ways of looking at it as well. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, for me, is the the balance of companions. I think the one that the, the little group that worked most effectively is the second Doctor with Jamie and Zoe.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I think with with Jamie from the past, Zoe from the future, and Doctor. I think that. That was always a very effective one. I quite liked it with Jamie and Victoria as well, but I think because they were both from the past, yeah, it it didn't quite work um, because you always had to have the Doctor around to explain things to them. At least with uh, with Zoe, she could explain things to Jamie almost as well as the Doctor, um, and then you get a quite a long run. In fact, all the Pertwee companions are all contemporary Earth. Um, to the telling of the stories. Um, yeah. So, I, th- I think it is nice when somebody is is brought out like Leela, um, whose point of view on it is very different from a lot of the characters. Because, to my memory, they don't really explore that aspect of either Nyssa or Adric. No. Um, they just feel like. Sort of young people like Tegan does, uh, so sort of all getting along and together. There's there's a few little nods to it, and there's little bits about things that Adric and Nyssa don't know when they're back on Earth.
1: Um, yeah, the, um, the they just made me think they're Black Orchid when they see the steam train. Indeed, yeah, that was my that was what I was thinking of yeah. as well. <laughs> um, that's that's probably a good example of it. It's it is a nice scene, that isn't it? Yeah, um, I'm
0: very, very fond of Black Orchid. It's one of my favourites. I've, I've always had a soft spot for this. The sort of the purely historical ones, where they, um, the the threat is about the circumstance, and like that, or they get separated from the TARDIS.
1: Yeah,
0: um, I would. Uh, it's quite nice when they sort of revisit elements of that. I think there's too often a case of, yeah, we'll just throw the monster into it. I think the much as there are things to like in Unicorn and the Wasp, the Agatha Christie story, it would have been quite nice, I think, in some ways, if they'd have ended up in an Agatha Christie story with yeah. her um, that was based around sort of one of the stories she later went on to write. Yeah,
1: uh, it'd, be, uh, it'd be the, a, the a rumor, rumor is rumor. that the series eleven, the, the new series coming up with Geordie Whittaker, that there's going to be four stories set in the past. So it'd be interesting if one or, or any of those is a pure historical. Uh, it would be the, the first time we've seen that in the new series, wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, where, and it is, although the, the formula has become, you know, the kind of historical or celebrity historical with aliens, there's enough jeopardy in being in a difficult situation in history that they have to escape from. Um, which you often got in the, the Hartnell ones. It, it was just, yeah. We need to get back to the Tardis with our lives. Um, I think that's the, you know, there's enough excitement and jeopardy in that that they can uh, they can do so. It's, it'd be interesting to see if they experiment along those lines. Yeah, interesting. I mean, uh, something uh, now they seem to be interested in going to America more to
0: do an American story for the for the North American audiences. And Salem witch trials would be fantastic if they, if they suddenly appear because they would be so alien to that world. Yeah. That people would, uh, would just assume they're witches. I don't know if that's ever been sort of picked up on in a story. It, it seems such an obvious
1: one. I think there is a uh, one of the BBC past Doctor Adventures. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got a feeling. It might be by Matt Gatis or Gareth Roberts or somebody as well. I'll check this and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. And it, I'm not even sure what it's called, it's called The Witches or something like that, but I'm sure it's a William Hartnell story. I can see the cover. I think yeah. it's um, uh, got Vicky in it as well. Uh, and it, yeah, it's set around, no, actually it's Susan, because I think, I haven't read these mostly since they came out, but I think it might hinge around Susan's. Um, psychic abilities, which they're only really uh, on TV. They only really talk about in the sensorites, don't they? Yeah, I've got a feeling it might be it might be around that, but it's it's been like a couple of decades since I read it. So uh, yeah, one of one of
0: the few sort of novelisations I have that's uh, sort of missing adventure. I think is another historic one. It's um, the Margarious one about the Roundheads, so yeah,
1: the English Civil War. Um, I like one that, that. I uh, thought. Uh, and there's the plotters as well, which is uh, which is a, a nice one about the obviously the gunpowder plot. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think
0: I can understand the the producers sort of feeling that the aliens and the monsters are a, are a safe, more of a safe bet. Um, are you going to are you going to bore somebody in if you because I don't I don't think a story like say Reign of Terror or the Massacre would necessarily work these days certainly not in the way it's been done yeah um, and and sometimes it's very effective Shakespeare Code to ha- mm. have the witches in yeah works really well obviously Shakespeare writes about the witches in Macbeth and it it all tied in very effectively I thought every now and again I do just go oh do we need do we need that monster do we need that alien
1: yeah Um, and there's the stuff you can stuff like the the Aztecs there's uh there's danger because it's quite bloodthirsty isn't it uh you know Ian has to have the fight with the 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 champion Uh, I can't remember the guy's name uh and then in in Marco is it no it's the crusades isn't it People buried with uh, where the ants are buried up to their heads, and yes. the, where the ants are going to attack them, and things like that's I guess if you're a kid, that's as uh, you know, mm-hmm. just as much as aliens. That's kind of a horrible, kind of brutal idea. It's quite kind of bloodthirsty, isn't it? You know, I think if you yeah. if you pick a, an area of history that's quite dramatic like that, anyway, uh, you get yeah, to the. They, end they of weren't it. quite
0: brutal. Some of those historical Harper ones, even up to um, the smugglers. Yeah, uh, which were, which was had quite a lot. I think for a historical story, cut cutouts is one of the few bits ways in which smugglers have survived. Is, is the the censored outtakes from when it was shown in Australia, which yeah. is also of, sort of people being stabbed and uh, threatened with knives. Yeah,
1: uh, and even the idea in the Aztecs, the the perfect victim idea of human sacrifice. It's uh, it's quite a know, is
0: trying to trying to prevent so that the, the Aztecs yeah. won't. Be massacred when the Spaniards arrive.
1: Yeah.
0: So, yeah, I remember I had sex very vividly. It was one of my favourites because I obviously read the novelisation long before I ever saw it. Yeah. Uh, but it was one of my favourites uh, of those. Not a very long one, as I recall, but it, uh, it told the story very, very well and was one of the ones that when I then went to watch the TV series, there wasn't too much of a, a deviation between. So what had been written and what had actually happened?
1: Yeah, just just the case. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah. Um, they they could definitely. I think they could get away with uh, it with a pure historical. I think, it, especially the the pace that the the stories go now. As we were saying before, you would almost get to the end um, if you're caught up in it before you realise. Hang oh, on, there weren't any aliens in that one. Yeah, um, and there's there's I guess there's you could you could play the humour line as well of the Doctor expecting there to be aliens behind something. <laughs> Uh, and, and kind of searching for them everywhere, uh, you know. Get to the end and find out. Oh no, there weren't any aliens here. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we should write it. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, <laughs> we'll uh, we'll send a, a treatment to uh, Chris Jemnal. Yeah. <laughs> so as we've talked about um, energy Daleks today with uh, with the Fourth Doctor and Leela, I thought we'd uh, we'd sort of run through their TV episodes and just sort of uh, share our kind of uh, thoughts and memories on these uh, a bit. I suppose a bit like the Memory Cheats podcast, where just uh, just see what we can, uh, what we remember and what our impressions were. So uh, Sarah Jane having left in uh, the Hand of Fear, uh, and the mm-hmm. Doctor being alone in the Deadly Assassin, the Face of Evil. He meets Leo obviously it's the first time as uh, as a member of the Sever Team. Yes, I, I this is a story I really like. Uh, I think it's uh, production wise and story wise, I think it's.
0: It's a very grown up one as well. Um, I mean, it, it, it does a few things that they quite like in Doctor Who and it's the whole with the the names of the tribes is the reminded me a lot of the thing they do again in State of Decay much later on in the make and run about how the way names change yeah. um, when they're repeated and sort of the, the whole cabbages and kings uh, sort of story um, of, of a of a name becoming transformed but I like that it also went back to Robot in it's his first so while he's still disorientated from the regeneration yeah and the TARDIS does sort of disappear and comes back that he had this whole other mini adventure that we're now seeing the repercussions of Um, and it's quite a I think I'd have been quite scared by it had I seen it as a child um, it would be. I think it would have been a bit confusing as to why the doctor everybody thinks the doctor's bad and yeah. the big face. But when he has his confrontation with Zenon, the computer, and, and, and the doctor's face is shouting at the doctor and saying that's a bit, quite unnerving, I think.
1: Yeah, and it's like the idea the computer's having a nervous breakdown type thing and, and yeah, it's kinda mm-hmm. really going crazy. So but
0: uh yes, I I'm, I'm fond
1: of that one as um, yeah, I think Leel is one of the stronger companions for that as well. Of she, she often throughout her run refers to the sever Team and where she's from and what their mm-hmm. kind of values are. Uh, there's I can't remember which story it is where she meets somebody and she says something like, well, "A child of the sever Team could have overpowered you" or something like that. Uh, I think that might be in Challenge of when Chang. Yes. is it about Jago? Is she talking to Jago or Lightfoot, I think. I think it might well be. Yeah, uh, she, um, unlike some companions, who become a bit more generic, she she very much stays. Although there's some development, like you say, from uh, away from superstition. Mm-hmm. she, yeah, she she keeps the kind of roots and the. Uh, she never becomes the kind of the screaming companion that that even the stronger ones to begin with uh, can sometimes uh, kind of morph into over time. Yeah. And
0: I think, I think because of her costume, she, as a her character can sometimes be dismissed as always oh, the, the something for the dad thing. I'm always yeah. reminded of, um, Dara O'Brien. Yeah. One of the shows has a routine about that, something for the dad. Yeah. And it is quite a, a patronizing thing. So I think it's, a, it's to Louise Jameson's credit and the writers that they, didn't let actually let her character become that and she she does remain sort of a strong character all the way through um, and has a and has a proper progressive arc you feel that i mean i'm kind of sad that the way she's treated at the end is she is just sort of yeah. shoveled off a of bit in invasion of time it would have been quite nice for her to go to go back sort of to that, with all the things she's learned, and to sort of be leading the Sever team and yeah. uh, and helping her planet, that that would I think would have felt a, be- a better rounding out of her story. Um, although I think she she appears in quite a lot of the later sort of adventures, and she when Romana's the president of Gallifrey and Leela's leading the the outsiders of Gallifrey
1: yeah there's uh, one and again one of the big big finish spin-off series is is the Gallifrey series I haven't heard any of those but I know she's a main character in them and then in the final war doctor box set with John Hurt she's got a couple of stories with him Uh, so it's you sort of catch up with her in the time war Uh, and that's lovely seeing her with another doctor as well uh, yeah. There's some uh, yeah. There's, there's some nice stuff there. So it's good that her she's her life has gone on uh, in in the offs beyond the happily ever after, which was seemed a bit unlikely at the uh, at the end of the invasion of time. Uh, yes.
0: Uh, so where do where do we go from face of evil? Is it is that
1: uh, to robots of death? Robots death. Yeah. Yes. So uh, Chris Boucher again, same writer as, as the face of evil, who who created uh, Leela um that again a story that i uh, i really like
0: yeah it's a fantastic yeah. one that I, mean, um, I think it's a, it's a good story for everybody there there's no there's no weak spots yeah um, and it's got an actor i really like who who a couple of times was in the running for playing the doctor um is it michael Co- uh, no david collins yes yeah, he's modern in modern undead. Later, uh, later on in Peter Davidson's era.
1: Yeah, he's um, Taron Capel in this, isn't he? Is the uh, the villain?
0: No, he's um, he's the
1: investigator.
0: Ah, um, right. Who, ha- who has the nervous breakdown?
1: Yes, that's uh, right. Yeah,
0: yeah. But it's a uh, it's a really nice story. We not um, that long ago, and. Uh, it, it's just a joy from start to finish that. Yeah. But,
1: uh, yeah. Uh, and, the,
0: and the Vox and the Dumbs are, are The robots, I, I, again, they're characters I just like to see in the background of something. When you're in a, a time period that's appropriate to so their characters, just just put them in the background. I'll be quite happy with that. They don't have to be big starring characters.
1: Yeah, I think in my kind of head canon, the, um, I think called the hosts in uh, Voyage of the Damned the the yeah. tenement where yeah, the Callimanor Christmas special, um, it felt like they were from that that kind of maybe from similar kind of world or civilization. Uh, yeah, that, they that just be, maybe
0: been sort of jazzed jazzed up versions of the box to, for for the crews.
1: Yeah, like I think it would have been nice if they were, you know, was a little nod to say they were from that planet or that area of space or something like that. that uh, uh, we, yeah, they could, they could have worked that in. Because they had that same, there was an air of them that was similar, wasn't there? The design of the robots, the voices, everything like that, I think is, uh, yeah, it works really, really well. Yeah,
0: and I, I like the the costume design for the humans as well, because it's, it doesn't, I mean, in some respects, you could say, oh, they look like really bad, like disco yeah. sort of costumes. But because everybody plays it so well, it just feels like, well, that's the fashion of, of that era. Um, yeah, it's, it's a very yeah, good choice. I mean, it's a it's a very good run of stories that Leela has to, to be introduced. Yeah. Um, and I, and I think her her character adapts very well to this whole thing. Um, you can kind of see why why the Doctor sort of. Takes her along to, on more adventures and things like that. You can, I think, in some respects, he he sees a lot of himself in Leela's character and approach to the world. Um, she's not at all, although yes, she she is superstitious to begin with. It's not a, a negative thing. It's just her understanding of the world and how how she understands it until she learns the. Sort of the science behind it to why things happen.
1: Yeah. I thought actually going back to Energy the Daleks, there was a, a kind of a, a key line for her character in that the doctor says, Leela never lies. And you sort of think back and you think, no, she doesn't, does she? She's, she's always just kind of, uh, she's very honest and just says everything exactly how she sees it. Yeah. Uh, so. I thought that was quite insightful. Yeah.
0: Uh so then sure. there's
1: on to Talons of Wen Chiang
0: uh-huh.
1: which is another, uh, another great one. Yeah, definitely, yeah, one of my uh, one of my all time favourites. Uh I think it's, it's it's brilliant. And and it's one of the six parters that doesn't drag at all. Yeah. Uh, it, it, and it's one I, I, I kind of forget is six parts. I used to sort of think of it as a four parter and then you sit down to watch it and you go, Oh nice no, six parts this. Uh, mm-hmm. And the thing that always surprises me, I think, when I watch it, is how late in the story Jago and Lightfoot actually meet, and then how little time they are actually on screen together. Um, in the memory, I think they, they they're together more. Um, whether that's because I've heard some of the Jago and Lightfoot series, you know, subsequently. Yeah. But uh, brilliant kind of pair of characters, aren't they? Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's Robert Holmes script. Uh, who he sort of had a plan of. Um, doing a spin-off with him, didn't he? Um, kind of not a science fiction thing, but just kind of a, maybe kind of a sitcom-type thing with the two actors playing Jago and Lightfoot in Victorian London. Yeah.
0: Um, I, don't, I don't know. Would that have worked, do you think? It was, I mean, there's a great fondness for them within the fan community. Yeah. But would that have extended to something that people
1: would have watched? It, uh, suppose it depends what type of stories they were. I mean, presumably they'd have, have steered away from Science fiction, but then uh, yeah, I suppose what a, a sort of a pathologist and a and a theatre impresario would have done uh, on a weekly basis in a TV series, uh, whether they would have investigated murders or just kind of got into scrapes together. I'm not sure. The, obviously, the radio series goes down the sort of science fiction route um, or, or things that seem supernatural and then have a, a sort of a science fiction, uh, you know, kind of rationale behind them in the end. Mm. So, uh, and it's the first
0: in that series of um, a Tom getting to wear a different hat
1: yeah he gets to do so
0: his Sherlock Holmes um, yeah it's, it's a very sorry, and again it's one that I think had I seen as a child I would have been quite freaked out by yeah. I, I can although I don't agree with it I can see why there were concerns that the, the show was becoming sort of too scary for for it's intended or it's not an argument mm-hmm. I particularly buy because I don't think there's anything particularly wrong with giving kids a fright now and again as long as you sort of, you tie it up as the show always did with sort of the resolution and yeah. this is explained and the threat is dealt with um, and yeah. I remember watching it and um, Keeper of Trakham first sort of story that I saw all the way through although I, I, Destiny of the Darks was the first one I saw any of um, I, I found Keeper of Trakin, which is a fairly mild story, mm-hmm. sort of really disturbing with a statue that sort of comes to life and yeah. kills people. Never mind, the rotting master living yeah. inside of it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I suppose you don't think of the, uh, the the monster element of that one, but it's uh yeah, there are there's some disturbing stuff and it's it's kind of uh you know, and then you've got the the, the body horror type thing of the master taking over somebody else as well, I think it was Tremas mm-hmm. at the end. So it's, uh, yeah, some, some disturbing ideas underneath all the sort of uh, Shakespearean politicking and family stuff that's going on on the surface.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, Tal- Talents of Wen Chang is a, it's a very good story. And I think the rat looks all right.
1: Yeah. It's it's something you get on the special features where Philip Hinchcliffe he's he's got some regrets over it, hasn't he? Thinks it should have looked a bit more kind of matted and uh and, and kinda of messed up and stuff. But uh it, it's on screen so little.
0: Yeah, and, and in that half in darkness, that's uh, it gets away with it. Yeah, yeah so.
1: definitely. Um and as you said before, um Mr Sin properly creepy, isn't he? Yes. Yeah, it's a Really unpleasant,
0: and then the the reveal of what's happened to Magnus's face yeah, um, it's all all melted. One of those really good sort of not quite a blink and you'll miss it, but it's it's a very quick reveal just for the shock value, and then he's covered up again. Yeah, um, yeah, it's one of those beautiful ones. It's a thing that's said in quite a lot of the documentaries about. So the production design in Doctor Who is set something in the future, and the production design team often get a bit lost and just wrap everybody in tinfoil. But yeah. give them a historical period, and they can really go to town. And yeah. I think that's that's one of the best ones mm. for sort of creating that late Victorian Soho Limehouse look. Is yeah. is really lovely.
1: It's all set at night as well. It's foggy. It's at night. It's claustrophobic. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I think
0: the the only criticism you can make, and they, and this is one with hindsight, is the is the white is the casting of uh, Li, Li Cheng, Chang, yes. the the hypnotist, um, obviously using a white actor, um, and then sort of making him up to appear uh, Chinese, which really wouldn't fly today. And, no. I don't know if it, it's not, I feel it wasn't even necessary then.
1: Yeah, um, absolutely, but yeah.
0: they did it, and, uh, we have to live with it. So, um, and then we go on to another of my favorite It's a great series all around that, that season.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Horror of Fang Rock. Yes. Yeah. Uh, another great
1: hat. I, I think it's something they should have kept for Tom, is actually that he yeah. has different, <laughs> different hats through the Different thing. hat every week, um, yeah. Yeah, he's a baller but, but hat in this one, isn't it? It is,
0: yeah. And I, I really like it. It's one it feels, we, we mentioned Agatha Christie earlier, it feels a lot, very strongly influenced by that and the um, her story And then there were none, where sort of, sort of people are getting yeah. bumped off and mysterious location and the only appearance to date in the show of the Ruttons yeah um, which of when you actually see it at the end is a bit like yeah. oh, it's, 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 <laughs> it's a lime jelly <laughs>
1: yeah it's one of those stories uh, where only the Doctor and Companion survive as well isn't it it is yeah um, yeah, looks it looks really for a
0: moment like they won't that, yeah. that one of the others is going to but, uh, but then, and they used the nice um, explanation at the end for um, Louise Jameson's eye color changing yeah because the they so she didn't have to keep wearing the the, um, the contact lenses, change yeah. lila's eyes um, which I thought was a nice a nice little thing but they they didn't have to put in because I don't know that people would have. I mean, yes, fans would have noticed. Yeah, but <laughs> I don't think anybody would have been too bothered by it if she'd have just stopped wearing the contact lenses, no. but to give it a nice little reason that she looked at the explosion and it changed the colour yeah. of her
1: eyes. And the picture quality in those days, it, it would probably have been quite hard to discern a change in eye colour. I would imagine, apart from in a very much a close up. Yeah. Yeah. It's. Uh, Terence Dix wrote this one, didn't he? And it was, I believe it was a replacement script for something else. I think it was a very light edition. Yeah. But yeah, totally came up trumps with it. It's uh, very, uh, I love the, the cliffhanger when uh, uh, the doctor sort of, almost, isn't he does turn to the camera, but he, he sort of turns and he says, I don't think we've locked, uh, we haven't locked the creature out. We've locked it in. Uh, It's just a great piece of of Tom Baker performance, and then the titles crash in after that. Yeah, Uh, yeah, and I
0: I like lighthouses. Yeah, uh, that's always a good a good
1: thing. Then after that, we go to The Invisible Enemy, which is maybe less successful from a, a production point of view. Yeah, I it's not what I'm overly fond of. But it does introduce canine, and I, I do love canine, so it's got uh, it does have that going for it. So
0: yeah, I, the the point where the doctor and Leela have their little sort of shrunk down versions that get injected into them to fight the uh, to fight the infection is one that I really liked
1: um, that idea. Yeah, and then reused in the in the modern series in Into the Dalek. Where they uh, they yes. get drunk again and uh, and injected in, inside the uh, the Daleks' brain, do mm-hmm. yeah. uh, yeah, um, not they? Yeah,
0: I'm not just not overly fond of it as a whole. Yeah. it's one of those ones. That I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It just doesn't just doesn't quite work for me.
1: Yeah, it is probably some of the bits inside the brain are some of the bits that that um, look best uh, as well in the story. When he's in the sort of inside the structures of the brain, sort of walking along parts of it, uh, they they're probably the, the, the most successful from a, a production point of view. Uh, but then the, the nucleus of the swarm—that's uh, that's probably a memorable villain for all the wrong reasons, isn't it? It's, uh, it's kind of like a yes. giant prawn type. Uh. It does. <laughs> so I,
0: I had a strange experience because the first time I saw it, I had it was when I bought the the K-9 box set that came with K-9 and Company. Yeah. And I had one of the DVDs that was faulty.
1: Yeah, I had um, that too, yeah.
0: Yeah, so watching it, I suddenly thought, oh, that well, that's a really strange production decision.
1: Yeah. Um, which, of course, wasn't at all. The, the <laughs> scenes were in the wrong order, weren't they? Yes. So, yeah, yeah. I remember you had to post the disc in and then they'd send you another one out. Um, but I think they, they sent a freebie out as well, didn't they? I think I got the Hand of Fear... Um, as a sort of a compensation type thing for having to uh, having to post the other one away.
0: Oh, right! Oh, I didn't.
1: I found it
0: um, in a charity shop, so I just re bought Invisible Enemy on its on its own, and ah, it was one that worked. Yeah. So, uh, so that was good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's quite nice. Canine, a nice introduction. But then they don't really make much use of him because I think he's missing in the next story,
1: is he not? Yeah, so we've got Image of the Fendal next. Um, I, this is probably the one that's longest to go since I've watched. But no, I don't remember K9 playing any part in it. Um, no. I think I might be mis- I might be misremembering this from the special features and behind the scenes stuff. I think it was a. I think K9 was only designed for use in one story, and then they quite liked him and thought we'll bring him in. So I guess it took them a little while to then adapt the subsequent scripts to incorporate yeah. him. Because that's the same thing happened.
0: And to adapt the model, because obviously a lot of image of the Fendal takes place outdoors.
1: Yeah. Um, they and it was a notoriously
0: things. difficult uh,
1: um, prop to use. Yeah. Uh, so they had to lay little tracks and things like that, didn't they, so you could, you could move around. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, similar thing with Fraser Hines, wasn't it, that uh, after the Highlanders... they, what, they used uh,
0: to lay little tracks to move Fraser yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> So It's so a little known fact uh but yeah he wasn't originally intended to stay on as a companion so they then had to uh, adapt some of the subsequent scripts and then in the moon base that's why he's in bed for a lot of it isn't it when he succumbs to the the, the, the poisoning the virus the, the, yeah because yeah, the it's
0: um for a long time as they were telling the story of the highlanders they were expecting that it would be hannah gordon's character whose name i forgot that would be the one yeah that would go on to, to do that um uh, but yeah, I like Image of the Fendal again. Is another sort of really creepy one, yeah. and, and another one that I really, again, I first came across it related to the the novelisation, and then it's another one that really I didn't feel sort of I let down in any way when mm-hmm. I saw it um,
1: as a TV series. Yeah, I think the ending, from what I remember, isn't is it this one where well, the ending doesn't quite make sense to me? can't quite remember what it was about it, but there's something just slightly, uh, slightly un- unsatisfying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um,
0: and it's another good one for Leela. And again, it's, it's one that was written by Chris Boucher. Yeah. So obviously I think he had a, a really good handle on, on yeah. the character.
1: Yeah. Having written her first story. Yeah. He, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he's, 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 Kind of handles her uh, is one of the best writers, doesn't he? This is the first time she's on Contemporary Earth, as well, isn't it? Uh, well, for the time, Contemporary Earth. Yes.
0: But, uh, yeah. So it's one and for a long time. It's a story I used to confuse with um, with Stones of Blood. Right. Just, yeah. Just just in my head, but the, the similar the similarities in the setup for it. Um,
1: yeah, you've got but, the sort of mysticism, disguising, um, you know, sci- science fiction kind of idea, I suppose, aren't you? Yeah, the, the, yeah. Uh, the old Is it Mrs. Tyler, the old lady, and I think he's a great character. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, she's got all the superstitions and uh, uh, all the kind of, the, is it the bag of salt round the neck for protection and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, uh, so
0: Sort of that, leave, that becomes sort of, sort of the MacGuffin
1: for how they defeat the Fendal. Yeah, it's that idea. I suppose like um, uh, like Face of Evil, isn't it, where kind of real scientific ideas of, of, of over time become superstitions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's, uh, and then um, it's, uh, it's one of those themes that crops up in Doctor Who quite a lot, isn't it, as well, where you've got an alien that's influenced history for a long time, so uh, like Scaroth and um, Azal and people like that, you've uh, mm-hmm. you've got the Fendal have been been manipulating things to get to get this point. Uh, so you even to the extent that one of the characters is called Fendelman, yes,
0: yeah. I have the it's one of my nice sets, it's uh, the the five inch figure range. They d- did an image of the Fendal box set, and you get a, a big Fendal, a little one. The, um, the little skull that's relevant uh, in the story yeah. that sits on a cliff, And I think you get a Leela character uh, with
1: that. It's rather a nice little set. Yeah. I didn't get any of those. They're, they're always very tempting, though. Because uh, they, um, they, they do one with Syl, don't they, and Perry. And mm. I thought it looked quite cool as well. Uh, yes. Uh,
0: so, so after Sunmakers, after Vendor, we go into a little room which... I, th- I think it's a bit of a drop-off for, the, for this season, just sort of sun makers, which, sort of Sunmakers, um, which I'm, I'm not overly fond of. It felt it, it felt a bit unsubtle.
1: Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, it has um, its themes on its sleeve, doesn't it? Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, and it sort of, sort of hammers it home. It could have, for me, it could be. It's one of the stories that could be shorter. I mean, often I feel that oh, I could do with a bit more of that or I'd like a bit more, but yeah. Sunmakers is one that I feel drags.
1: Um, I like the, because Robert Holmes, it's the dialogue I think is fantastic and uh, there's a lot of puns and plays on words, that kind yeah. of thing, uh, about tax and the system and uh, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and it's
0: Pennant Roberts, who's, who's also uh, the director, who's a very safe pair of hands. yeah. Uh, and uh, went on to direct my favourite Warriors of the Deep. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it's one that I feels so, because there is, it is such an obvious satire, it it fails in in its storytelling. In some ways, it, it could have just done with being reined in a bit for me. Mm. Um, Remember, sort of somebody reminding Robert Holmes. Yeah, you're, you're telling a story as well as making jokes.
1: Yeah, <laughs> I think the, the the other thing I do like about it is the the performances from the, the the actors playing the Gatherer and the Collector. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I do really like those. Uh, they're kind of over the top, aren't they? Um, and not not kind of evil in the same way that some of the villains are. They. They just, I suppose, they would say it's doing their jobs, um, yes. Which happens to be subjugating, you know, all of the kinds of people on the planet and things like that. Um, but particularly, the gatherer is uh, is quite an enjoyable performance, I think. Can't yeah. remember the actor's name, but uh, yeah, no. it's, uh, it's good. It
0: makes me just the general look of it. It makes me think a lot of like seven using that sort of seventies. Modernist industrial architecture To be Pluto Yeah uh, A lot of um, The way they used to shoot uh, Blake 7 When Particularly in the early series Where they would use A lot of industrial buildings I think Did Penn and Roberts Not go on to actually Do quite a lot of the Blake 7 Stories as well
1: not <laughs> Possibly I think um, I think I made this admission Actually last time On the podcast I've never seen Blake 7
0: Ah Terrible. Yes, he did. I'm just having a quick look. Yes, he did. He did Blake yeah. 7 so, and
1: Survivors. Did. Uh, and, and Doomwatch. So. One of the characters. Very, uh, one of the actors who plays one of Blake 7 is in this, uh, isn't he? I think. Um, one is one of the rebels? Yes. Is it. Let
0: me see if I can just pull it up quickly. Uh Uh, Michael Keating, Villa. Right. For Blake 7 is in it, yes. Oh, hello, Podcat. The Podcat has just arrived to bless us Excellent. with presence. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I, I mean, I don't have anything particularly against Sunmakers. I just don't have a lot for it.
1: Mm. Yeah. So K9 uh, gets a bit I, to do in it, at least, doesn't he? He's Because uh, you're in corridors, he's, uh, he's out and about and happily shooting people yes <laughs> yes
0: um, and then we're on to a story which I probably haven't seen
1: since I bought
0: it so I haven't seen it for ten years uh, which is underworld
1: yes this is Bob Baker and Dave Martin again it is yeah and, uh, uh, see the, the uh, thing that this is most well known for is uh, them spending the whole budget on the uh, spacecraft sets isn't it um, and then not having enough money to shoot the rest of it. So all everything that's set in the caves, which is an awful yeah, lot of a story. C- Yeah, and it's
0: terrible CSO lines around everything. Uh to my to my memory. Um, I mean it's one of the ones of stories that sort of taps into mythology again. Yeah. So it's um I remember I remember it's not what not that I didn't like it, but I don't remember, again, as with some makers, I don't remember really enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, maybe it's one I'd probably need to sort of get down off the shelf and go back to.
1: I watched it, yeah, too long ago. It's, uh, it's, I think it's like all these stories, uh, anything with Tom Baker in is, is is saved to a large extent by Tom Baker's performance, isn't it? Uh, yes. He's, uh, he, can, he can elevate the, the weakest material. To uh, you know, to, to to be hugely entertaining. Uh, um, there's uh, when it was released on DVD. It was in a uh, was it a myths and legends box set? I think with it was. Uh, Horns of the Naimon and the Time Monster. I think. Oh yeah, that, that's that's strange. But basically,
0: we've got these stories left. What yeah. can we call it as a box set?
1: <laughs> yeah, and because they're, they're all sort of uh, loosely based on classic mythology. They, uh, they, they, they put them all together uh, but normally when they do a box set like that they would put a weaker story with a stronger story but they were three not very highly regarded stories I'd say
0: yeah I, I think no. I, I enjoyed Haunts of Diamond I have to say
1: yeah
0: um, um, but I, I think what I enjoyed about it is, is just how shamelessly they ripped off a myth you yeah. um, <laughs> might as well have just sort of gone back and done it as the Minotaur But I love um, oh, yeah, this Graham Crowden. Crowden,
1: yes. yes, yeah.
0: His performance is just bonkers. Yeah, and uh, massively enjoyable for that. Yeah.
1: I suppose the light uh, underworld, like horns of nymon there's no real explanation of how these uh, these events made their way into human mythology, is there?
0: No, because obviously with, with Underworld, it takes place in the future.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: or, or, apparently takes place in the future and uh, things like that. I think they do sort of try and go back a wee bit with the haunted of Nyman in the God Complex, which has a, yeah, a, a creature that's related to the Nyman. Yeah. And, uh, I think there's a, a little bit of sort of shoehorning there. Mm. Um, and just time monster that that takes place. And in, obviously, it's one of the sinking of Atlantis yeah, stories.
1: Yeah, uh, it's sort of um, yeah. There's some links to ancient Greece, and they travel back in time uh, yeah. to uh, to Atlantis, which is a sort of a civilization along the same sort of lines, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I like the the way that in Underworld adds to sort of Time Lord mythology. Uh, you get the the idea in it that Time Lords visited the Minions um, when in the early, in their the Time Lords' early days of, of sort of time travel, uh, and were like gods to them and elevated them up to the extent that they got uh, nuclear weapons ridiculously early and, and had this huge war, and that was what one of the things that brought about the Time Lords' non-intervention policy. Yeah, so it was a nice bit of, um, of Time Lord mythology building, I think. That, that uh, mm-hmm. that yeah, really... similar, similar
0: thing to the uh, I don't know at the time whether it was within the canon of Star Trek, but uh, with the Vulcans and the, um, the Klingons, so similar thing. The Klingons, the Vulcans discovered the Klingons, and... Um, when they first went off into space and, and gave them advanced weaponry, and the Klingons weren't ready for it. Why they're sort of so warlike and have all these weapons is because ah. they're still a society which aren't ready for for that level of technology. Yeah, uh, I'm so. not that
1: well versed in Star Trek either, but I did enjoy the uh, the most recent series on Netflix. Discovery, yes. Discovery, yeah, I thought that was very good. Yeah, I that but actually. I don't
0: think you needed necessarily to be a Star Trek fan for. I think it, it no. worked in its own right as a an enjoyable piece of sci fi.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I thought that was very strong. Probably the Star Trek I enjoyed the most. I think that one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, then we
0: get Leela's final
1: story. Yeah, overall, too soon. Uh, she's uh, she's written out in um, the invasion of time.
0: Yeah. Well, not even written out, booted out.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> like, just, off you go. Um, it, it's a bit of a shame, and because and, no. I don't think it's... It's an overlong story. Mm. Six six parts is too much for it, and overly complicated with having the, the double villains, yeah. the Vardens and then the Suntarans. and... And there's, there's, just too much going on and it, it's a couple of writers. David Agnew is the one who's credited, but, uh, Graham Williams and Anthony Reid have hands in it as well. And I think yeah. it is too many, um, sort of fingers in the pot and it, it just needed somebody to, to cut some of the dead weight off it and smooth out. There's bits I really like. I mean, I always enjoy, um, the Doctor interacting with other Time Lords and yeah. his interactions with Barusa in, in this are very good. Yeah, um, and, yeah. and the uh, I think it builds quite well on what's set up about the Time Lords in uh, Deadly Assassin. Yeah. Um, sort of adds, adds to that world quite well but yeah it, it's it's just too long
1: yeah and then episode 5 is, is all padding isn't it they are just running around the TARDIS and then the, the budget problems of they couldn't build the TARDIS corridors so they use the disused hospital um, yeah that's it, just weird yeah, yeah just tons of, scene of them, to, scenes of them them running around and then uh, uh, the weird bit with the, sli- the swimming pool when the Santaran falls over the deck chair and uh, <laughs> that kind of stuff yeah uh,
0: uh, could have done without that but yeah. then then, of course, I think they were too sort of set with four episodes, three episodes you couldn't have done um, unless something had gone wrong, as it did with Mind Robber.
1: Yeah.
0: A five-episode one would have just thrown it when you'd have to, what do you do with that extra yeah. sort of episode's time? Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I, th- I always feel a bit sorry for, for Louise Jameson at the end of that, where she's just Leela's ped off with is it Aldred? Andred. The, the captain, andred, andred for the think, captain yeah. of the guard. And it's just like,
1: that's it. It's yeah. Just, yeah, because I think the sort of, behind the scenes sort of explanation is that Graham Williams, the same things um, happened with Mary Tam, I think, didn't it, where he just thought he could talk them round into staying another year uh, and then uh, and then couldn't. So they very hastily had to had to write the exit. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it is, it is a shame. As you say, it would be nice if she'd gone back to the planet the Doctor found her on um, and had a hand in, in sort of rebuilding and, and uniting the Seven team and the Tesh to work together, that kind of thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but, yeah, it's good the big finish you've given her a life beyond that. Yes, yeah. yeah. And she and she seems to
0: sort of, – Louise Jermison seems to be enjoying it. I think there's some, there's some actors who – who aren't always sort of... I mean, I think they're, they're not unhappy with their association with Doctor Who, but they don't embrace it yeah. as something else they can do in their career. I think they see it as something from that period and and now they're done with it. I think mm. maybe that was Tom Baker's sort of feeling for a long time. Yeah. Which uh, is quite understandable, seven, seven years of your life and to still be sort of so associated with that character mm. um, to... Probably the detriment of his uh, of his
1: career. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, I've never seen um, Tenko, which I know is Louise Jameson's. Uh, um, uh, he's kind of you know another big part of her career that that uh, I've heard talk about conventions, and, and he's he's very highly regarded.
0: My mum, I remember my mum watching it, um, and I I don't think it can't have been on very late because I remember seeing some episodes, but. Not really watching it because I was too young, mm. um, but yes, I so I understand that it's sort of very very
1: good. Um, I think um, I did see something, it's going to be recorded, uh, repeated um, on one of the Sky channels, I think. Um, so I need to look out for that. It's something that would uh, be interested in seeing. Yeah, and I think it is available network or one of
0: the com- companies that do a lot of old TV series box sets. Um, I think they. Do one of
1: the whole run, mm.
0: um, so. yeah, the worth of that one. Yeah, so it's, when you look at it, it's not that many episodes that um, that she no. was really around for Leela uh, No, what, a
1: se- season and a half. Yeah, that's it. She, it's uh, it feels longer when you think about. it But then, yeah, when you boil it down, you look at the ep- you look at the stories and the episodes. It's uh, it's it's all too brief. Yeah. Yeah, six
0: six episodes in that season, and three mm. or four in the previous. Uh, just goes to show really that a, a well written character portrayed by a good uh, a good actor can, can have a really big impact. I don't it's not that many more stories than Mary Tam did as the first Romana, but mm. I definitely don't. I, th- I think Leela has a much bigger impact
1: yeah she uh-huh. looms larger than she, either I think. of the Romanas yeah um, I think with um, with Mary Tam as well because there was that um, although it's, it's six different stories it's, there's the overarching key to time arc isn't there as well indeed uh, so yeah you've only seen her within the context of that uh, on screen mm-hmm. so. yeah so maybe again that is nice that, uh, that she had an audio adventure as well to expand Mm. her character and show what else could be done yeah they're, they're lovely stories in that in that run as well and i would recommend those right. i'm just having a look at um at the novelizations
0: for that series uh well well Leela's in it for the whole one knows that terence sticks
1: did all of them right <laughs> yeah
0: uh, kept, kept himself busy
1: yeah <laughs> yeah very 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 prolific so, thank you very much for joining me today, Lawrence. It's been been a pleasure discussing the uh, Lee, the Fourth Doctor and Leela's era and Energy of the Daleks with you. Cheers. Thank
0: you for inviting me and uh, having me back.
1: No problem. Uh, so, we look forward to uh, some further episodes of The Highlander soon. Yeah, hopefully coming soon.
0: Season three of the new Doctor Who series, so the Martha Jones season. Uh, get John and I up and running and ready for Jodie Whittaker's arrival. Great, uh, I
1: look forward to that. Uh, so, where can we find you on the internet, Lawrence?
0: Uh, I am on Twitter at at lol seventy three l o double l seventy three, and otherwise I'm just hanging
1: around. Yeah. <laughs> I'll put links in the show notes to to your, uh, your, your Twitter account and to the Highlanders podcast, uh, which I heartily recommend. Thank you very much, Mark.